0: Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today we return to the subject of Commodity Trading Risk Management Systems, CTRMs. Foundational for any trading business, these projects can be extraordinarily expensive to implement. We last covered this topic back in 2020, so here to give us an update on the trends and developments in CTRMs and some of the things to think about for organizations considering a switch or creating a trading platform is Samir Soleja, founder and CEO of Molecule, which they bill as the most modern cloud-native CTRM available. As always, you can really support the show by leaving a positive review on the platform you're listening on, or we'll go and tell your colleagues about the show. And as always, I hope you enjoy the episode. Samir, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here, man. So we're, we're talking CTRMs, Commodity Trading Risk Management Systems, the last time we we covered this crucial topic to those involved in the in the trading and and marketing of commodities was way back a couple of years ago with episode forty three with Richard Payne we were talking about the, the how it was the fundamental digital core and that was probably a good one oh one primer for this discussion if those people want to go back and have a listen to that where we're really I said taking the story on from there and and what have been the major changes challenges and opportunities around CTRMs in the last couple of years, because obviously the commodities markets themselves have uh, have only gotten more fast-paced, more volatile, and with the advent of AI and so forth, a lot more tools available and being asked for. But I guess to get us all on the same page, Samir, what, what are CTRMs?
1: Yeah, so for somebody not involved in trading every day, it's probably like a really weird acronym. The easiest way to think about a CTRM is that it's kind of like an ERP for a company that transacts in commodity or energy uh, markets. And the key way in which it's different from an ERP is that it natively contemplates a forward position. So, you know, whereas things like equities and or goods that you buy and sell are typically bought and sold like now. The whole thing, the whole reason you need a separate CTRM is that contemplating forward positions is the hair. Just to set the scene a little bit, I mean,
0: choosing a CTRM, changing a CTRM, these are huge undertakings and significant yeah. costs as well, right? I mean, this is this is not a small element of becoming or building a trading capability. These are foundational and getting it wrong, as we probably talk about. Can be extraordinarily expensive and extraordinarily delaying for an organisation to to be able to trade and market in in these in these sectors.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think you know we've done a lot internally where we talk about trying to lower the stakes, but uh, but you're absolutely right. You need something like this uh, in order to get started trading. A lot of people start with spreadsheets or something like that, but once you're of any scale, the spreadsheet whole. Thing explodes and carries a huge amount of risk with it. We're working with a a German company that simply won't allow its people to start trading unless the CTRM is there, tested, and working.
0: Yeah, and we're going to come on to costs because these can range into the billions. Okay, so if we take sort of the last, I want to talk firstly about new pressures on a CTRM because the world has developed dramatically in terms of digital capabilities over the last twenty years, but just you know, really since the pandemic. There's been a whole new slew of pressures both to make sure these systems are accurate but also working at a velocity that that matches the volatility in the market so maybe we can sort of start there and and help us unpack kind of how the I guess the the turnaround time has is, has the demands on that has increased dramatically as as markets have become more more financialized and more volatile
1: yeah I mean uh, we basically had a 10 year ish period of low volatility in energy markets. And so, you know, there wasn't a lot interesting happening in the CTRM, ETRM space because it's sort of a microcosm of the energy markets at, at large. Obviously, that's changed. And it's not just like, you know, people are trading oil and gas again, it's people are trading these weird, wacky new things, a lot of them related to the energy transition. And the shapes of things, these things themselves are evolving very quickly. So, you know, a a renewable credit is not quite the same thing as an offset, uh, which is not quite the same thing in a voluntary market versus a compliance market. And systems are basically being asked to accept these things very quickly because companies are adapting very quickly say through for example esg requirements it could be that somebody's asked to stand up a new renewals desk in three months and yes one of the 70 things they have to do is to set up an etrm in three months would be a tall order for a system back in 2010.
0: not only are you adding new commodities and and new products surrounding those commodities but just i I guess i kind of want to dig into this idea that kind of 10 years ago sure, in a less volatile market, it was kind of okay to kind of get your positions at the end of the day. But now that's just not not acceptable to most organizations where you've got increased volatility that, you know, margin calls can come at you much more quickly, like positions can change so much more dramatically, but more frequently as well. Can you? Where are we today in terms of the expectation from clients around what these systems produce and in what time frame?
1: Yeah, I, I think they're really in two flavors. I would say a lot of customers and clients that we talk to are still really only expecting one PL per day, or they're expecting to have multiple closes that sort of follow the sun around the world, but not really a high bar when it comes to that. However, their financing may expect something different. For example, we heard about an exchange starting to go. To multiple intraday margin calls. I mean, my goodness. So systems need to be very different for
0: that. It's a low-margin business, and it's therefore it's always about, about the costs. And a lot of these, the, the barriers to entry now for new startups is really high, right? And that's why I think we haven't seen too many, both in terms of financing costs, setup costs, and, you know, compliance costs, and so forth how much were these systems 10 years ago or, and, and what are the pressures on cost that you're you're seeing today and give us some sense of scale as well as dollar values
1: you know from the customer perspective i think these systems were much more expensive 10 years ago and they weren't necessarily nominally more expensive uh, they were probably sold for about the same price as they are now the difference is there was this floating implementation cost That typically ended up being something like 75% of the total cost of ownership that nobody could just could see at the beginning. And I think that was a challenge. There were some companies that were really trying hard to automate logistics and scheduling and paid through the nose to attempt to do that. And what we've heard through the industry is that potentially not in a single case did that succeed. That really these systems are, are being used for record keeping, even in the cases where oodles and oodles of money were put to work to try to automate that. So yeah. I think from a customer side, you know, costs are roughly the same, although SaaS vendors are trying to bring the cost down.
0: Just give us some sense of scale, right? Like if, you know, if, if this is a really large trading organization with multiple commodities, multiple regions, lots of volume, I mean, I'm not wrong in thinking these things run into the billions and there's a number of relatively public stubbing of feet on, on trying to get these things implemented, you know, running into the years and, and as you say, yeah, just, you know, give us some sense of scale. Is that a right figure? I mean, what's how do these costs range?
1: Yeah, so, you know, the world record one that everybody sort of talks about is the one that ran into the billions. And the thing is, that thing was like an order of magnitude more than just about everybody else. And it was really just emblematic of this whole industry having gone wrong, I think. However, you know, so, so if it's an order of magnitude off, so then we're, we're talking, say, 200 million instead of 2 billion. I don't think those projects are getting sold anymore either. I don't think very many $20 million projects are getting sold either. Uh, from what I hear in the markets, a $2 million project is a pretty normal large one, maybe tapping out at 10 or 20 for the very largest organization. A small organization could get in for probably less than a million at this point
0: because i think it sets the scene for going forwards as well where have those why have costs dropped is have we just seen more market entrance has the underlying technologies and deployment gotten cheaper what's
1: been going on there i would say some of it's due to market entrance i mean obviously as the Software becomes more commoditized, and obviously, as you've reaped the benefits of cloud computing, those numbers should go down and I mean, what we've certainly seen is legacy vendors attempting to compete with new vendors on price, presumably to drive them out of business and I mean, it's a classic tale it's not nice, but, <laughs> but it's a classic tale, and it is what it is. It's part of what we would expect in in a uh, market whose competitive nature is shaped the way it is I think. The other thing that I think has really driven this difference in cost is the idea that as an industry, we got it all wrong by attempting to build a system that essentially digested an entire giant trading organization and modeled everything it had to do. That's absolutely a recipe for for having gone wrong. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Pentagon Wars with uh, Kelsey Grammer no it's a it's a story of a a of a defense procurement project having gone wrong where basically the u.s department of defense orders a like an armored personnel carrier and by the time it's delivered 35 years later it's a it's a vehicle that can carry five people that is very fast but doesn't have a very big gas tank that has huge uh, rounds on it but cannot sustain fire from a tank who it would be firing on (laughs) Um, and i think that's sort of what happened with ctrms and, and etrms in the late 2000s and early 2010s i think people tried to get them to do everything and that was a recipe for disaster really what we're seeing now is people trying to use them as a as a solution to do the things that ctrms do Best, which is contemplate forward position.
0: Just, I mean, I, you, you mentioned that earlier about kind of emblematic of of everything that is sort of done but poorly. Just how, dig into that. So, so what fundamentally now we're just ask, people are just asking less of CTRMs in an environment where we started off just saying there's more commodities those those curves are moving more quickly, there's more risk out there, etc. etc. Like how fun how fundamentally has that philosophy changed and and is that sort of now widely recognized and was that driven by these new challenger ctrms or i mean how did that come about
1: yeah i think two really tangible examples would be one on the bilateral trading side this idea that a ctrm should include a general ledger system i mean really it it <laughs> There are perfectly functional, perfectly good GL systems that come from either GL vendors or ERP vendors, where people have been thinking about how those products should work for decades. Why would a software company that understands energy markets come up with a good solution for a Small slice of the world that needs the combination of a general ledger system, ever so slightly adapted for commodities. It's just not the right place to put money. And so I think people have have learned that over and over. Like you shouldn't expect the CTRM to be an accounting system, or a, or to have a general ledger. Uh, another really good example is on the front end of that, for companies who need to maintain a list of their customers, how much they've sold, when they expect to sell, how the billing is going, etc. I mean, that looks a lot like a CRM system. And there are very many perfectly good CRM systems out there that have contemplated more problems than one could think of, than a CTRM vendor could think of. So I think for ex- those are two really tangible examples of where people are looking elsewhere other than a CTRM to solve a problem.
0: Interesting. And then you did mention, obviously, there have been these various consortiums out there that have essentially tried to codify standards for operations and logistics and so on so that it's more easy for companies to digest one another's trades etc etc but those seem to all stub their toes on essentially this desire for these commodity trading houses not to share any kind of information with each other because that's really their market edge right is that the fundamental challenge there
1: i don't know i think it might have been stated as a fundamental challenge Uh, in the late 2000s and early 2010s. And there's something to that, right? Where these commodity houses were essentially prodding these vendors along to build features that made sense for them. But I don't think that's the case anymore. I think most commodity houses understand that the way they generate an invoice line item from a bilateral trade that eventually goes to a paper invoice is not where they're seeking alpha. (laughs) That's where they're seeking cost reduction and uh, efficiency, right? So I think the idea of, you know, as you you say, stubbing your toe on cross-industry collaboration probably serves vendors more than it does anybody else. You know, if I lock your data inside my CTRM and make you pay me an arm and a leg to get data out, well, then at least you'll still pay me. It's not a great answer and it's not certainly not something that um that we do. That seems to me to be the current reasoning.
0: There have been a lot of external developments as well. And and one of the sort of mm-hmm. certainly the the story of twenty twenty three has all been about AI. And in, in yeah. some cases I feel like that's created sort of a, a certain amount of stasis as everyone's trying to figure out what it means and and, yeah. and and pass the the hype from the the sort of the reality. But there is this demand out there that for Data management and AI—you know, using using the best of those tools to speed up better predictions and so forth. Where, Where can you? I'd love to understand sort of what you're hearing from your clients around that, and 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 where you think that's
1: all heading. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think today's applications of AI are really in two broad categories. Well, really, one broad category, which is generating data, right? Generating unstructured data by predicting the next word in an output. Some of the things that we've seen things like OpenAI do, for example, are just uncanny. Like, I really didn't think a computer could do that. And and here we are. The question is, how do you apply those things to commodities markets, right? So an ETRM, for example, is very much an OLTP, um, online transaction processing system. It's not really a big data system. It's not really a a system where approximating a result is sufficient. It's a system of record, which means precision is important rather than estimation based on large amounts of data. So I, I think the places that AI can work well then within the ETRM industry are a little less obvious. So what we've seen people talk about is using AI to manage Data quality checking and or cleaning, because ingested things like market data, for example, comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes, and that seems like the sort of imprecise thing that AI would be good at dealing with. And the other thing that AI would be good at dealing with is uh, prediction, right? Predictions are also not, by definition, they're not precise. However, if you're using some trailing data to make them regression analysis or what eventually becomes ai is probably a great tool for that um, because it can factor in a whole lot more variables that you may not know about or even need to think about
0: so is it is the better able to ingest the information you know and and so forth that rather as you say you don't want your ctrm guessing stuff right (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. a -hmm. it's a record when you're talking to clients, though, I assume AI, as as we hear as well, right, is pretty high on their list. You know, it's data lakes, data management, that whole piece, right, is is actually if if information is the proprietary edge of a commodity trading platform, that seem would would suggest that better ways to digest that could unlock some real opportunity. And of course, what's also going on is all of these algorithmic funds and traders out there are also thinking the same thing, right? So w- w- more broadly, what are you seeing a real interest, but as yet kind of a, a questioning how to actually deploy and implement?
1: Yeah, and I think this goes back to our conversation about cost, which implies role within the organization as well, right? If a CTRM is not the vendor with whom you spent 96% of your organization's IT budget, they may not be the vendor you expect to be working on AI with. Instead, it the answer or the the request of a CTRM may just be, "How do I get all of my raw data in real time?" Open and shut. Because I'm going to do something interesting with it, and no way in hell am I going to show it to you. But you're welcome to tell me what other customers have done. <laughs> I mean, I think I think that's really that that's really the sort of thing that we hear, right? I just want my data because I'm going to do stuff with it and i don't know what that stuff is going to be but you know step one in the process is to have all the data the hc insider podcast is brought to you
0: by hc group a retained search intelligence and advisory firm focused solely on the global energy and commodity sector with six locations across asia europe and the americas and over 50 consultants to find out more go to our website hcgroup.global There you can also sign up for our HC Insider content for more interviews and white papers on relevant trends and talent impacts in the commodities world. It's fascinating isn't it that kind of uh, yeah, I guess there are other analogies in other industries but you, you know this new tool came along, the CTRM, and the, the the requests were to get it to do everything, like you said. And I assume there were very competent salespeople from very large companies behind that, saying it could do everything. <laughs> and actually, now it's a bit of a no. We 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 just wanted to do this one thing very well, and that's probably very good advice for anyone. Thinking about their next system or to implement this, right, is is actually Mm -hmm. be laser focused on what it, what you you know, just getting the basics right. And there's plenty of other tools available to do, you know, the accounting piece or whatever it might be. Um, the the other Mm -hmm. The other bit that sort of changed this year is, and it's a bit of a strange one because the broader market, there were lots of tech layoffs in the end of last year from the large tech companies. Ultimately, in response to rising interest rates and no longer lots of free capital to do whatever R and D you wanted, you know that did create a you know an ease of, of talent out there. It seems that actually that quickly got snapped up by other firms, yeah, you know, because mm-hmm. um, you know, we've certainly seen our commodity technology practice continue to grow, and there's lots of demand out there for various types of skill sets. As you say, a lot of it actually on the how to. Um, manage that data and produce information which can then go to the traders right um, mm-hmm. but what are you seeing on the on you know well first off from a from a people standpoint have we also seen a similarly sort of scaled down whereas 10 years ago there was sort of hundreds of people on a given implementation down to you know now it's actually fewer because a combination of ease of implementation has gone up and as well as scale has gone down tell us about that landscape
1: yeah, absolutely. I think the uh I mean, if we just look at our own implementations, a normal implementation for us is maybe one or two fractional analysts and a fractional project manager, each of whom is working on two or three or four projects at the same time. And from what I hear, that's exactly the same model that the let's just say the largest legacy vendors in the industry are using as well. People no longer think you need to fly somewhere and be on site all the time in order to get your job done properly. And that's particularly true in this case. And there's a lot of cost savings to be had in this case by going down that path. I mean, that's not necessarily the case for every implementation. If you buy the most expensive of the ETRM systems and you want it heavily customized to your needs, well then yeah, definitely get a big four army to show up on site and, uh, you know, wine and dine them for two years. To your point about, availability of talent coming from other markets this is a really weird situation energy and commodities tend to be countercyclical with the rest of the markets and sure enough that's showing to be the case here which means that a lot of people who have done some really amazing things at broad tech companies are now available to work for uh, ETRM companies or, or commodities trading houses. They don't have any commodities knowledge, and and that's certainly um, a difficult problem to solve. But they bring best practices with them that the energy markets, I don't know, are 20 years behind on. And so, so it's an interesting situation. And then lastly, all of this is happening at the same time where a few very large ETRM implementations are just ingesting people by the dozens so these, are, these are folks who have gone with legacy vendors um and bidding up costs for people with etrm experience so this this is all a really interesting witch's brew of cost you know where the systems themselves are getting cheaper where the people are getting more expensive
0: yeah yeah and it is that it is that commodity or energy expertise that is the expensive part right Uh, (laughs) and instead of how to find that right balance of of the experience you know but then also tapping into these sort of more sort of industry agnostic skill sets of which there are more out there and more available to to get it right let's let's move on to the the market side because i kind of find this fascinating right it's a bit of a Sure, you can know, imagine there is going to be a Harvard Business Review at some point. But <laughs> you know, we're we're all carefully avoiding names, you know, as we should, because we're not a, not a, you know, don't want to get ourselves into trouble. But right. you had these original sort of legacy vendors. How and are they being disrupted by these new, more nimble, more more simple CTRM platforms? You know, before we talk about Molecule, how. You know, can you just talk about that market dynamic, right? How did it start, and kind of where are we at now? And then you've got things like Ion going out there buying all these startups as well, and and smaller, you know, CTRM providers. Can you just give us some sense of the market dynamic
1: and the structure? So I think two things are happening. I think one, the vendors that were started in the 1980s and 1990s and that haven't really upgraded a whole lot since then, upgraded their products a whole lot since then, I think people are finally realizing that there are better solutions out there. If you're a private equity company that bought one of those solutions and stopped investing in it for 20 years, well, you've milked the last few dimes out of it at this point, it's it's done. I think there aren't quite as many nimble young vendors as it would seem or as you would think. Because the the lift, even to get the basic part of this right, monitoring or, 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 or calculating forward positions in p those mechanics take a very long time. Um, I think it took us three years before we could sort of do that with a straight face. And so that's a pretty hard lift. I think what that means is those people are coming. They're just not there yet. There's a generation of companies, a little bit like Molecule, who started 10-ish years ago who are sort of coming into their own, but it's a, but it's not a ton. And then lastly, I would say the companies that are legacy companies that aren't quite as old as the oldest ones, but not as new as the newer ones, I think they've just been com- competing on price. It's an effective way to do business. If you're a, a large legacy incumbent, it's not a sustainable way, but uh, it certainly creates good opportunities for customers.
0: Yeah. What about consolidation? Because there has been yeah there is consolidation going on quite notably kind of what's going on there is Can you talk to that a bit?
1: yeah, I mean, I think there was one vendor who basically decided their play was to attempt to corner the market and so they bought something like i want to say sixty percent of the market share of new deals simply by acquiring companies again, an effective way to do business. It's not something that customers will like you for. Um, and we've definitely had people, as part of negotiating a new agreement with us, say, like, hey, you're, you're not going to get bought by X company, are you? Because we don't want to end up in that boat. That's why we're talking to you. I think that there's really only one vendor that's done that. I think there are a lot of other companies that are transacting. You, like, for example, you can see what happened with Brady from going to a public company, to a private company, from splitting off the power business, from the metals business, the metals business, going to a private equity group. And like, I think there's a lot of transacting going on, but I I would say the consolidation is really in the hands of one particular vendor.
0: Yeah, And, and just on that as well, that's interesting is the desire because one of the things that's also going on in the marketplace is if you're an energy trader right now you're probably looking at metals because mm-hmm. you recognize that's role in the energy transition we're seeing a lot of that you're probably then also thinking well why not about you know we're also now trading biofuels so we want to get into ags our clients mm-hmm. looking for platforms that can easily bolt on new commodities that sit across that i mean you know or, or mm-hmm. are you still stuck with the idea that okay well they've just sold off their metals bit i now need to go get a metal ctrm
1: no i mean that's why people come to talk to us um is that they have one of those situations like hey we just started trading cobalt or hey we we have a new energy transition desk and ain't no way i'm going to hire a, a big four army to come out here for another year to get that thing going it needs to be up in 60 days and i don't want to pay an arm and a leg. I think people are going to uh, look at other vendors to support their businesses as they grow. And I will say from the perspective of being one of those vendors, the expectations that come with that are very high. And I think in general, we're able to meet or exceed them. But, you know, one situation from our early days sort of rings true in this case, which was before we had multi-currency support, we had a customer start trading into Chinese markets. And they didn't tell us until a support ticket came in that said, hey, how do I shove these trades in your system? It's like, guys, you guys didn't decide on a whim to start trading these markets. You've been planning this for a while. You could have told us. But I think the expectations are very high and they're fair. Modern systems should be able to digest uh, new things very quickly. And that, That is their killer feature set.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It it strikes me the other big trend to talk about that's going on at the moment is lots of producers or, you know, some of the large sort of retailers, for example, you know, that everyone is looking to build out there. We've written on this extensively the last couple of years. Management consultants have gone around these organizations and convinced them that they need to build out trading and marketing um, capabilities. And quite rightly, in the sense of a higher volatile market you've got the energy transition, it gives you the chance to get closer to your customers and navigate some of those uncertain pathways, you know, as well as to extract more value from arguably, very arguably, sort of a diminishing returns in hydrocarbons, etc. Uh-huh. And, and that, that, those seem like some of the most challenging standpoints from a CTRM perspective, because you've got, typically that's held within a particular division, Right, mm-hmm. the trading and marketing business, but the decision making around this, the, which platform to go on is often made at sort of this group level, with mm-hmm. with a you know a CIO who's not going, not necessarily familiar with the commodity trading world and the demands, and that's always mm-hmm. the the easiest case to go with you know yeah one of the big four right like you know because no one ever regrets buying IBM type stuff right right so that that seems to be a particularly difficult challenge for some of these leaders to stand up systems within a division and, mm-hmm. and you know i'd just like to get your thoughts on that dynamic and i guess any comments you have for people who might be in that situation
1: yeah i think that's a really interesting one I, I will say i live in a position where i wouldn't see that happen right if somebody went through that process they just wouldn't talk to me instead the the version of that situation that i see is company customer attempted to go down that road ran into a brick wall with legacy vendor salespeople people and or product not delivering after several months pulled the plug and said please can you just solve this problem for me here's here's some paper let's let's let's, let's go so i i see the second version of that but i'm sure the first must go on and i guess the advice i would uh, uh or the perspective I would try to offer is there was a reason nobody got fired for trying IBM because they were good at what they did. I would say that's not the case in this industry. Just
0: before we move on to Molecule,
1: where do you see...
0: I mean, it's, it's just fascinating sort of the changes that are going on in this sector. And some of it's just those normal business forces and others are unique to the commodities world, as we've described. You know, if you had to make a couple of predictions about where you see CTRMs in the next five years, you know, what, what comes to mind?
1: Yeah, I think one of two things is going to happen. You're going to see an explosion of new vendors. A couple of them will rise to the top and start acquiring all the little pieces or the explosion won't occur and the next generation of energy commodity trading will be selecting from the set of let's just say new and or mature vendors that exist i think the first situation is better for customers the second situation is better for vendors i think time will tell in terms of which one happens in either case i think the vendors that win Will be the ones who, you know, as Steve Jobs used to say, I think, skate to where the puck is going. Who who anticipate where demand is going to be, and are there, city, sitting there, ready and waiting for it uh, to turn the key as soon as the demand comes in.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because I think one of the fascinating things about the next ten years, and, and we talk about this quite often, I guess, on the podcast and internally as well, is how uncertain some of these pathways are right you, mm-hmm. you you know we don't we don't particularly know which version of the lithium-ion battery if at all right might end up right. Canadian flows is going to dominate the um the electrification of of transportation etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. you can make some pretty good bets there but you know you need to have that capacity to be able to pick up these new commodities but we also don't necessarily know which markets are going to become sort of the, which regions are going to become the benchmarks etc and and, mm-hmm. and 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 that's sort of what's makes i think that's why you need a trading and marketing capability that's why therefore you need a ctrm but it needs to be as nimble and as responsive as the markets going to be which is presumably going to be more volatile and uh, you know more spikes more often right
1: yeah yeah absolutely this came up in a conversation we had recently where i mean we don't know where the markets are going and therefore nimbleness is going to be absolutely critical and nimbleness is hard because you know going back to one of our original questions in this conversation like what is it that's hard about what an ETRM does? What's hard about it is contemplating the entire physical world and all the elements in it. Like, that's not easy to do. It's not easy to create a data model that understands that, you know, crude oil has grades, but, you know, lithium batteries have qualities on different dimensions. That is, that's, that's phenomenally difficult to do. And I think that's what's so interesting about the industry. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the other thing, of course, because you already mentioned it, already starting to see exchanges demand more frequent margining assessments and mm-hmm. so forth, we can expect that to increase as well, both as that volatility goes up, presumably, mm-hmm. but also as the costs of financing are going through the roof, right? The world is a very different place, as you know, again, as we've talked about, you know, on when it's a 7% interest rate. Than a zero yeah. percent interest rate, right? I mean, money is no longer free, and is uh, yep. is you know, and, and that's going to require all sides to want to have more control and visibility over it.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, having a real interest rate environment is uh changes everything.
0: Yeah, and might 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 uh, give some clues as to whether there's going to be an explosion of of new vendors or not. Right. Again, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's that's a true. different different investing environment out there. Um, okay, well, absolutely. But, um, it would be lovely to get a few words you know from you on on molecule and I guess where where you guys position yourself.
1: Uh yeah, absolutely. So we position ourselves as the world's most modern cloud native ETRM uh CTRM system. So there's a lot of words packed in there, but r- what it really comes down to is we're not BS cloud, we're for real'sies cloud, meaning there was never a version of molecule that wasn't multi-tenant cloud and then the software is modern because we're updating it all the time and we use modern development practices. So, you know, you when you interface with Molecule, you get APIs, you get um, uh, that are normal, restful, JSON and CSV speaking. You get integrations with uh, up to 100 different other systems and things work like you expect them to work in 2023. Screens uh, will often uh, reshape themselves to be mobile friendly. You don't have to hit a button to make p run every night, etc. So basically, Molecule is the modern version of a cloud ETRM-CTRM that works like, you'd, like something you'd expect in 2023, and we're evolving all the time. Uh, we support something like 50 commodities, 25,000 instruments, and compute billions in notional value every day. Uh and we're constantly updating the platform every couple of weeks to add new capabilities and, you know, solve new corner cases where we find
0: them. Thanks for that. And also obviously based in Houston, my hometown. So uh, uh That's right. <laughs> you know. A big, big commodities hub. Well, okay. well, look, it's been really fascinating. And I know you actually you're also quite active on social media and you guys put a lot of thought pieces out around the sector. I just think I think it's an interesting and timely episode to do, given there are lots of organizations either (laughs) contemplating a switch or actually trying to figure out which platforms to use as a bolt on new commodities or indeed start launching trading platforms. So, Mm Samir, it's been great to have you on.
1: Absolutely, Paul. This has been a great conversation uh, and great talking to you. Thank you for listening.
0: If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and HC Group, a search and advisory firm dedicated to the commodity markets, visit our website at www.hcgroup.global. There you can find out more about our services, and our offices around the world. There you can also find more content from interviews to insight pieces to more podcasts focused on the commodity value chains. Thanks again for listening.